Okay, if we can turn into our Bibles to our reading for this evening. Um, it's from 1 Peter, chapter 4, under the title of Suffering for Being a Christian. So 1 Peter 4, starting at verse 12 through to verse 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is a time for judgment, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Oh, good evening, everybody. Good to see you all. Why do Christians suffer? Looked at some tough questions in this series. So far, we've looked at um, what is suffering and uh, where did it come from? And um, we try to answer that question by using Dan McCartney's definition that suffering is the soul's response to experiencing evil. In other words, it's more than just something bad or unpleasant. It's more also than, than physical pain. And suffering ultimately comes from, from sin. Last week, we, we considered a, quite a difficult conundrum that if uh, there is suffering in the world um, and God is good and he's all-powerful, then why doesn't he do something about it? And we demonstrated that God is good, he is sovereign, and so there is a certain amount of mystery attached to suffering. But we did take comfort from the fact that, first of all, at least some suffering has a good result that we can later identify. Secondly, that God is not unmoved by our suffering. He cares for us in our suffering. He sympathizes with us. And then finally, that God himself suffered for our sakes on the cross. And in that terrible act of suffering, he achieved everything of any significance that we have. Which left us a bit like Job, acknowledging that we need to trust in God, in his wisdom, uh, because we know that he loves us. Well, this evening we're considering the question, why do Christians suffer? You know, I, I get it that we live in a fallen world where suffering is inevitable. But if we've promised to, to follow Jesus, shouldn't um, we be treated differently? Shouldn't we enjoy protection from suffering? And the psalmist expresses this well in Psalm 73, this frustration when he says, surely God is good to Israel or his people, to those who appear in heart. But as for me, 
My feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on to describe all the things the wicked enjoy that they don't deserve. He says they have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong, etc., etc. In short, if Christians suffer just as much as anybody else, if not more, then why bother? Is it all worth it? Or the answer for the psalmist in verse 16 of that psalm is when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, he says till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. In other words, being a Christian is not all about this world. It is about a relationship with God. It's about the life to come. There may not be much difference between Christians and those who are not Christians in terms of what we suffer in this life. But in the life to come, it will be very different. And it's that future perspective that is crucial in trying to understand suffering for the Christian in this life. And as we'll see from this passage in 1 Peter, uh, suffering is not just something to be endured, but something to embrace. We're called to rejoice in our sufferings. So what might God's purposes be for us then in suffering? Well, turn with me to that passage in 1 Peter, if you would, that... um, was read for us. And the first thing we see here is that suffering is designed to refine us. Verse 12. Have a look at verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's a continuation. If you go flick back a couple of pages to chapter 1, verse 7. Um, it's a similar sort of theme. It says there, verse 7, these, that's these tests or trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is a key difference between the suffering of a Christian and somebody who's not a Christian. God's goal for us, and hopefully our goal for ourselves, is to become more like Jesus Christ. And that comes at a cost. We have lessons to learn that can only come the hard way. But if we accept that goal, then we can embrace more readily the trials and ordeals we will go through. If, on the other hand, our goal is to live a comfortable life, which is uh, most people's goal then suffering is an unnecessary inconvenience. It makes absolutely no sense. It is unfair. It is painful. And we just want it to be over as quickly as possible. As a Christian who wants to become more like Jesus, we we realize that we have to get rid of sin in our lives. And that is painful because we're often blind to it. The analogy of refining gold is quite helpful because... um, what happens in that process is that the ore, I'm sure the scientists will know this better than I do, uh, the rock that, that contains gold is put in a crucible. Um, it's heated up to a, a high temperature. Um, it makes the ore melt, and a layer of impurities form on the surface. And so the refiner scrapes away the impurities, um, furnace is heated up again, goes back into the furnace, and this process continues and continues. And that has to happen several times before you get a pure gold. And our sufferings are the furnace. 
It's unpleasant. We may have to enter the furnace many times, but each time some dross or some sin is removed. And one day when we face Christ, we will be pure. If we don't go through tough times, we may not even be aware of our sin. You may not know how much you love the world, how wedded you are to the things of this world until maybe you lose some of those luxuries. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe you can no longer afford those luxuries. And that's hard to go through, isn't it? But it throws you back on finding your contentment in Christ. Recognizing in him you have all you truly need. You may not realize just how dependent you are on the approval of others, on, on being popular, until that's taken away and you t- until you realize that maybe you're not as well-respected as you thought you were. And again, that, that's hard to go through. But it throws you back on the most important thing, which is the fact that you're loved by God unconditionally. It doesn't depend on how gifted or how likable you are. God still loves you. Sometimes suffering is discipline not for something particular that we've done wrong or to um, remove sin, but just to wake us up from a spiritual lethargy. To make us aware of things maybe we're not doing. If you experience some sort of financial loss, maybe um, your car breaks down and suddenly you've got a 500 bill you hadn't budgeted for. Sometimes God just uses that to, to, to ask yourself, how are you... You're using your money. How are you giving at the moment? Are you spending a lot on yourself at the moment? Maybe you've forgotten about God's work? God uses these trials of life. As C.S. Lewis once observed, God whispers in our pleasures, but shouts in our pains. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a dulled world. We can come to to church every week. We can hear um, the word being preached but not be moved by it. But when suffering comes, as Richard Baxter pointed out, suffering, he he said, so unbolts the door of the heart that the word has easier entrance. Suffering in itself won't change us. It still requires a work of the Spirit, but the Spirit can use it to make us aware of where we need to change and cause us to call out to God, to be dependent on him. Not just to take away the suffering, but to grow through it. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 139, Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Second reason for suffering that we see in this passage is to unite us to Christ. Have a look at verse 13. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. What does it mean to participate in the sufferings of Christ? There's a lot of statements in this book of 1 Peter about suffering. Have a look at uh, chapter 3, verse 18. There it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Or chapter 2, verse 21, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. 
When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And what's clear in those statements is that the suffering of Christ had a clear purpose. It was to bring us to God. It was to to give us an example. It was to heal us, to heal us spiritually. If it didn't have a purpose, Christ's suffering would be pretty pitiable, wouldn't it? If it was just to show us how much he loved us but didn't actually achieve anything, it would be pretty stupid. There's a difference between somebody jumping into the sea to save their friend because they love them so much they can't bear to see them uh, drown. And someone seeing their friend drown and jumping in the sea and drowning as well. Christ's suffering is meaningful. So how does our suffering connect us to Christ? How does it make our suffering meaningful? How does it unite us to Christ? Well, we know that suffering produces solidarity, don't we? We've seen that recently in the Grenfell Tower disaster. All sorts of people who previously didn't know each other came to help. They were united in their their grief. The sense of community was very strong. You may know yourself when you've gone through suffering. If somebody else has gone through that same suffering, whether it's an illness or or grief, it helps, doesn't it? Because they they know what you're going through. They can empathize with you. There's understanding there. There's a bond. But our suffering unites us to Christ in a much stronger way. Paul says in Galatians 2, we have been crucified with Christ. Christ. In Philippians, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. To participate in Christ's sufferings is literally to fellowship in his sufferings. To have fellowship is to have something in common. So when as Christians we talk about enjoying fellowship with one another, it's enjoying the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, I want to know Christ, and the way I will know him better is to share in his sufferings, to have that in common. We can know Christ intellectually, we can read his word, but in suffering we will have a stronger connection. And that is why suffering becomes a privilege. It's linked with a previous point about refining and maturing us. To become mature is to become like Jesus. And we can only become more and more like Jesus as we experience suffering. That's why at the beginning of the letter of James, James writes, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If we haven't suffered, there's something lacking in our relationship. Yes, we're loved by Christ. Yes, we're right with God. 
but there's an immaturity in our faith. Suffering helps us grow to maturity as it unites us to Christ. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, do we want to grow to maturity? And if so, are we willing to embrace suffering? We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper shortly, and part of the purpose of taking this is bread and wine that symbolize the, the broken body, the poured out blood, um, is that we identify with Christ in his suffering. But it's not meant to be sad and depressing because we know that if we've been reunited with Christ in his death, we will also certainly be united with him in his resurrection. We rise to life in Christ. And that brings us on to our next point because when people see, see that in us, um, it has a powerful impact. Our suffering will help us witness for Christ. Have a look at verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind, other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed but praise God that you bear that name. Although at times we may not feel it, the greatest honor is to be known as a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, to bear the name of Jesus. That's what Annie's going to be doing next week when she gets baptized. She's going to be professing faith in Jesus Christ. She's going to be bearing the name of Jesus. We should want people to see that we are different. What is different about us? Well, if you look up at verse 2 of, of this, um, this chapter, we see there the difference between us and those who don't follow Christ is that we do not live the rest of our earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And such a way of living can in itself bring with it suffering. If we have lived a certain lifestyle and we've turned our backs on it, our friends, it says here, will be, verse 4, surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. They might ridicule you, they might make sarcastic remarks about you, they may turn their backs on you. And in this country, if we remain true to our faith, it's going to be harder and harder to be a Christian. Tim Farron wrote um, in the iPaper uh, this week. He said, people don't mind Christianity. However, the moment you show any signs of actually believing in this creed, or thinking that this stuff about Jesus might even be true, or that this faith might in any way impact on your conscience or your life choices, well, we don't like that one bit. And he's saying somebody who's experienced that in reality himself. The more we live out our faith and become noticeable, the more the devil will try and make our life a misery. He wants him to come back. He wants us to come back to him and follow him rather than Jesus Christ as our Lord. But we are told here, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And in the previous chapter, in chapter 3, where, where Peter encourages Christians to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. It's in the context of suffering. 
that people see you suffering. They, they want to know why is it that you are able to cope with what you're going through. Where does that, that hope come from that you have that you're showing through that suffering? Why are you different? I want what you have. And it's because suffering is such an effective tool for the gospel that, that Paul considers it, Peter considers it here as well, a privilege to suffer. But what does it mean to suffer because of the name of Christ or, or as a Christian? Does it mean that only suffering because we're Christians links us to Christ's suffering? And so in this country, is it only when we are discriminated against or if we suffer ridicule? In other countries, if, if we're persecuted for being a Christian, imprisoned, beaten, or even killed? Well, I think we can bear the name of Christ in any suffering, I think it's more how we respond to that suffering. For example, if you look back at chapter 3, where Peter's writing to slaves, he tells them to submit to their masters, even when they are harsh. That doesn't necessarily mean they're being treated harshly because they're Christians, but simply because they have harsh slave masters. And I'm sure some of you may be wondering, well, what about suffering because of illness or an accident? Can that still be suffering as a Christian? Well, if we remember what we looked at last week, with Job's suffering, it was illness and bereavement caused by Satan. And the reason he caused such affliction was because of Job's trust in God. He wanted to undermine his faith. So yes, Satan will try and attack us, through different means, including illness. When we endure illness, when we endure injustice, when we persevere in our grief as a Christian, it is a victory over Satan. In two ways. One, because he's failed to to make us lose our trust in God. And secondly, because it's causing others to want to know what is the hope that we have. But suffering also for Christ is not just an opportunity to witness to, to those who are not Christians. It's an opportunity to, to witness to ourselves. We found, find out whether we really trust in God's promises. When we cling to God, even though we don't understand why he should allow our suffering, we grow in our confidence in him and in his love for us. And sadly, it is suffering that causes some who who thought they, they had a belief in God to turn away from God. I said, I can't believe in that God. But for those who stand firm, they're much stronger for it. Suffering is an opportunity to testify to those who are not Christians, to ourselves, but also to other Christians. You know, when we hear testimonies of, and when we see people, Christians going through suffering and standing firm in their faith, it's a huge encouragement, isn't it? And causes us to give praise to to God and encourage us in our own faith. Well, finally, suffering is assigned to prepare us for glory. Have a look at verse 13. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Part of our problem is wanting to be united to Christ, but we're finding it hard to, 
separate ourselves from the world. Not in the sense of cutting ourselves off from the world, but in the sense of cutting our dependence on the world, becoming less influenced by the world. And instead having a focus on the world to come, which is greater by far. We're so fixed in this world that we lose sight of where we're heading. Paul describes this well in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, when Paul here describes our sufferings as light and momentary troubles, he's not being insensitive to those who are suffering. After all, he is someone who has gone through more suffering than anybody else can imagine. And he describes that himself. He talks about being imprisoned, being beaten with rods, being pelted with stones, being shipwrecked, spending the night on an open sea. He's had people trying to kill him. Nor is he denying the reality of suffering. But he sees sufferings, he experiences them, and he encourages us to see them in the light of the invisible future glory, to put them in perspective. So as we come to the end, before we take communion together and symbolically share in the suffering of Christ, let me leave you with this question. If you are a Christian, what do you pray for most? That God would end your suffering, protect you from suffering, or that he would give you the strength to endure suffering, knowing that it is refining you. It is uniting you to Christ. It is giving you the opportunity to bear the name of Jesus, and it's preparing you for glory. As Christians and and as a church, if we carry on putting Christ first in our lives and proclaiming the gospel, we shouldn't be surprised, as it says here, when we suffer. And it may come in different forms. But when it comes, we'll be faced with that choice. Do we dishonor God? Or do we stand by the one we believe in, the one who's always stood by us, who, who will always be there for us through our suffering? And so Peter finishes this, uh, these few words there in verse 19 with this conclusion. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good.